Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail, the story of a baby with a serious heart condition who unwittingly became a pawn in a much wider cultural war. The baby in urgent need of a heart operation is still waiting for a resolution on his parents' request that only blood from unvaccinated people can be used if he needs a transfusion. One involving a former TV newscaster and one of the world's most infamous media figures. Update, New Zealand government steals baby from parents after they demand unvaccinated blood for heart surgery. I want to thank you and I want to thank uh, Liz Gunn we're about to bring on because we're all in this together. Now, the operation has gone ahead. The baby at the centre of a blood row has been given the heart operation he needs, but only after intervention from a High Court judge and police. But what does this story tell us about power and personal convictions and misinformation in 2022? Today on the podcast, the twists and turns in the story of Baby W. Charlie Mitchell is a reporter for Stuff who's been following this story since late November. That's when this issue sort of becomes public, and it becomes public via Liz Gunn, who is a former journalist. Um, She worked for TVNZ for quite a few years. Tonight, a judge's tough advice for the parents of teenage killers. As a 15-year-old girl... Um, She sort of notably co-hosted The Breakfast Show uh, before resigning live on air um, in the early 2000s. She sort of kind of disappeared from public view after that. She did the occasional um, guest hosting spot on RNZ and, and things like that, but she mostly disappeared from public view. But more recently, she's become a fairly prominent figure on the, the sort of alternative media, which is the sort of anti-vaccination, conspiracy theory fueled content creation business that is quite popular on on Telegram, Twitter, Facebook, places like that. Also for New Zealand, collect the evidence that is not being given to us on mainstream news. (sighs) It is absolutely crucial now that I step into more the journalism side of me. And And so she's the one that sort of brings us to to light. And she has been told about this case where these two parents are sort of wanting what they describe as unvaccinated blood for their child who requires a life-saving heart surgery. And she does this kind of lengthy interview with them on camera where they sort of detail what they want, um, what the impasse is. And when that goes online, that's when everything sets off and that's when the media coverage really kicks into gear. Now, a full hearing is expected next week into a baby at the centre of a high court case taken by Te Whatuora over the parent's insistence he is treated with unvaccinated blood. This may seem like a very 2022 case, and it is in many ways, but it connects to... You know, lines of decision over time where there have been disputes about what's in the best interests of a child who has very serious medical needs. Let's take a step back then and look at the, the fundament, I guess, of this situation here. We have a baby here. We're calling this baby Baby W. This is a baby boy. He has a heart defect. Doctors had tried a procedure to open a valve in Baby W's heart, but that didn't work. The only option at this stage, doctors decide, is to proceed with a blood transfusion and then surgery. Uh, And all of this kind of happened very, very quickly. Is is that a fair sort of um, basis point to to launch off here? Yeah, that's right. So this has been going on for probably a month or two. Um, The baby is about six months old. 
Um, and so, yes, there had been a previous surgery that had not been successful. So this was sort of the last resort, a sort of full-on open-heart surgery that requires a, a blood transfusion. Um, that's sort of what the issue is here, that there really isn't any way to do the surgery without using blood. And this is where you end up with the issue of the parents who have a, a sort of ethical objection, I suppose you'd call it, to use of blood from the general pool due to vaccination. Yeah, so they, they, they are, you would, you would describe them as vaccine hesitant, and so they basically objected to the blood transfusion, not because they didn't want it to happen, but they didn't want the blood to be taken from people who had had the COVID-19 vaccination. Is that the situation? Yeah, that's right. So they, as they said, sort of in their first interview, they, they have no objection to the surgery whatsoever. The only aspect of it they don't agree with is the use of blood from potentially vaccinated people. And they sort of sort a way around this by getting their own direct blood donors who are unvaccinated. That, that, that was their sort of proposed workaround. I have a question. How long ago did you ask the hospital um, for a source of blood that you appointed? Well, it would be more than four weeks ago. Yeah, ago. So why were you denying your own choice of blood source? What's the reason they gave? That uh, that has never been, you know, answered. Well, so they, yeah, they said, the answer? well, we don't know. The answer that they gave was that we will not do that for you. Right, OK. That seems like a crucial point of this. So it's not that they don't want the transfusion to happen. They just wanted to essentially to handpick the donors, the people who would donate the blood, and there were a bunch of people who were who were sort of happy to do that. But the doctors in Te Whatawara, Health NZ, and the, the blood service didn't want to do that. Why not? I mean, the stated reason is that, they, that the blood service does not, as a rule, sort of differentiate between different characteristics of people who donate blood. It all goes into a general pool. It's all treated and it's all just sort of treated as as fine. The sort of issue with direct blood transfusions are, like I said, they're very technical. Basically, it becomes very hard to sort of screen for impurities and things like that. People who donate blood directly are often not accurate about, say, activities they may have engaged in that may affect the quality of the blood. Um, and there's also like this, this precedent that they don't particularly want to set where people are just sort of choosing different types of blood donors based on characteristics that are not actually medically meaningful. Um, so it was raised in court. One example is what if somebody only wanted a blood transfusion from people with blood from a certain ethnicity, for example. Um, and so there's a slippery slope argument as well that comes in where it's, you don't really want these bespoke blood services where people are picking and choosing what blood they get. Uh, that is essentially part of the argument. There's more to it than that. But that is basically where the blood service is coming from. And this, I mean, this phenomenon, we, we're seeing this around the world at the moment, aren't we? And like you said, it's it's rooted in vaccine hesitancy. It's fueled undoubtedly by spurious science and misinformation. But people might also be thinking to themselves, well, I remember some famous cases involving like Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, who have a doctrine that um, blood transfusions are not permitted by the Bible. Those cases have gone to court as well as this one ended up doing. We'll talk about that, that soon. But this is a bit different, isn't it, in that the objections of the parents were motivated by... Personal convictions, I suppose, rather than religious doctrine, which is a, a subtle but quite significant difference, you'd say. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, in this case, it's not. Yeah, it's not a, a philosophical belief necessarily. It's a um, sort of disagreement over the interpretation of the evidence. Um, 
And in this case, you have sort of the mainstream medical establishment arguing very strongly that there's there's absolutely no reason to believe that blood from the general pool is contaminated or tainted in any way by COVID-19 vaccines. This is a product of the misinformation and disinformation that's out there. And it only takes a few minutes on Facebook or or looking around the internet to realise that some ridiculous theories have got hold of some people. It's a real tragedy. And you have two parents who just simply do not accept that. And and that's sort of where the the divide comes in. You get this this sort of power imbalance, I guess, where you have just, um, you know, you have a lot of doctors saying something, the patient just simply does not agree. And that's where the the barrier is. It's not philosophical. It's more like sort of fundamental disagreement on basic facts. That's fascinating that you you use the term power imbalance. I suppose this is where Liz Gunn comes into this story. Her impression of this situation is that there is a power imbalance here, um, weighted very heavily in favour of you know the doctors and, and the blood service and Health New Zealand. There's all this institutional power on, on that side, and she sees herself basically coming in and, and evening out the balance in a way. Yeah, that's, that's definitely it. I mean, the power imbalance from I mean this from the parents' perspective and, and people who think that way. Hmm. You know, these are people who do not trust doctors. They do not trust politicians. They don't trust the media. These are all, in their view, probably powerful forces that have conspired together in some way to push these vaccines on people. And so when you get doctors, surgeons, medical specialists at Starship Hospital telling them that everything's fine, all the stuff that they've read online is wrong, they believe in conspiracy theories, that's when you sort of have this entrenchment mentality come in, I guess, where it's like, well, of course they're going to say that they've been saying that this entire time. And there's actually quite a telling interview between Liz Gunn and the baby's father where they sort of go into this a bit, and the father basically says... I can look on my phone and find something in in three minutes if I... And then, you know, you know what the internet's like. It's full of amazing stuff, and it's not full of lies and conspiracy theories, even though there's some of that there. You have to pick and choose. You have to be discriminating, but it's there. There's really good science on there. And this is very much the the sort of thing that Liz Gunn is pushing herself. She is saying, we'll get you information that shows our side of things, and she's sort of arguing that no one's looking at this. They're only looking at their own mainstream medical science. And that's really where the power imbalance comes from, I think. So this is very much in her wheelhouse, and she was sort of the the perfect person, I think, to get involved in this case and to push it out the way that it was ultimately pushed out. One of the criticisms of Liz Gunn's behaviour here is the idea that this was kind of opportunistic. You know, it was using this case and using these people who are worried for their child. You know, that is that is ultimately the core thing here, is that these people are worried for their child. Um, and the criticism, I suppose, is that Liz Gunn was using this situation and these people as, you know, like an instrument or tool to stoke outrage and further her agenda. I mean, is that the impression that you kind of got from this as the story was unfolding? It's really hard to uh, to disentangle really what the motivations here are. Like, I have absolutely no doubt that Liz Gunn truly believes what she's saying, that she has sincere concern for this baby and the family. I don't think there's anything false uh, about that. What is sort of more likely, in my view, is that she sees this case as a microcosm of a broader issue, and she sees sort of victory in this case as a means to achieving victory in her wider aims. And she sort of said this 
in various interviews that, you know, she believes that this child, I mean, in one interview, she likened this child to Jesus Christ, for example. He's a very sacred little human baby, but there is something about the energy of this baby that has God's might within him, around him. So she thinks that this baby is, is, a, is a means for changing the world, that if they succeed in this case, then that will be the case for everyone. So I don't think it's as simple as her uh, sort of manipulating or, or using the family or anything like that. I, I think she has a very sincere interest in this case and sort of what it portends for, for similar cases like it, of which there will be many. So, I mean, the, the, the situation was that the doctors at Starship, the blood service, Alpine Seed were all sort of on, 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 on the same side. They were saying this transfusion needs to happen. Sorry, but your desire to have sort of your own hand-picked donors to donate the blood, that's, that's not going to happen. The parents are on the other side saying we really don't want this to happen and we, we've got people who are happy to, to sort of give their blood. Why can't you make this happen? And it ends up going to court, Charlie. Yeah, that's right. We heard from the um, Te Whatu Ora's lawyer, Paul White, that they want that full hearing to happen as soon as possible. He says that the baby concerned, who's four months old, is in uncharted territory. And by this stage, it's several weeks ago, a child with this condition would have been treated. He quoted from an affidavit from a medical person saying that with every heartbeat, uh, it's causing further damage to his heart. So this actually happened very soon after... Um, the news happened. I mean, it essentially happened as the news was coming out. So I guess the timeline here is that Liz Gunn films this interview with the parents in late November in their hospital room where they sort of go over the case. During this interview, it's pretty clear that there hasn't been this massive breakdown in the relationship with the hospital or the doctors or anything. At one point, the baby's mother says, you know, I really respect the doctors. We just have this sort of block between us on this one issue about the blood. It's also this interview where it's sort of revealed that Liz Gunn had that same day been in a private meeting between the family and the doctors and had sort of acted as their advocate. And it later emerged from the high court judgment that Gunn's behaviour in that meeting essentially caused the, the doctors to walk out. And so that sort of blurs the line between journalist and, and advocate. Obviously, it's not a typical journalist relationship. You don't go into private meetings and advocate for the person you're interviewing. A few days after that is when the health authorities essentially tell the parents that we are going to take this to court to seek custody to essentially allow the surgery to happen. And once that happens, that is when the interview goes up and that's when this mainstream media sort of get involved and that's when it all kicks off is sort of after this court action is is after it's made apparent that this court action is going to happen. And again, referring back to the Jehovah's Witness um, example, which is similar but not not entirely analogous, these cases have happened around the world, haven't they? You know, where, where somebody refuses uh, medical tre- um, vital medical treatment because they don't want a blood transfusion to happen and the state uh, ends up taking the case to court um, because otherwise it's, you know, the person's going to die. The seven-year-old boy facing death because his parents' religious beliefs prohibit blood transfusions. Patient X is a Jehovah's Witness. His religion forbids him from accepting the blood transfusion he needs to treat the cancer in his lungs, spleen and lymph nodes. And because I think I'm right in saying most of the time the state is successful in these cases. And indeed, that was that was the situation here as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I don't think there was any suggestion, at least from my understanding of what the legal experts were saying, that this would fail or 
fall in the parents' way. A medical lawyer and former nurse says the court followed well-established laws in taking temporary guardianship of a baby while it undergoes surgery and post-operative recovery. Well, my take is that Justice Galt has very carefully weighed up the considerations of the family and has said no, that that doesn't weigh up against standard medical practice. I mean, this is always going to happen and the logic is that, you know, an infant child cannot advocate for themselves. They have their own legal rights um, and the those rights are essentially about what's best for the child. Um, and if that means um, circumventing what the parents want, then, then so be it. Um, and that is basically what happened in this case, that the High Court judgment was was not ambiguous about it at all. Um, it made it very clear that the, that the surgery needs to happen, that it's in the child's best interest for the surgery to happen. And so it happened. And so, as you say, the surgery happened, uh, everything went ahead, the baby, baby W, is, it seems uh, okay at this stage, but the storm has continued to rage in the aftermath, Charlie, involving, of all people, Alex Jones. Now's the time to do your Christmas shopping, not fight the crowds, not go to the malls. What do we still have in stock? A lot of our best products, but a lot of them have sold out. We have knockout sleep support. I know. I was I was stunned when I um, woke up one morning, looked on my phone, and, and realized that Liz Gunn was being interviewed by Alex Jones. Um, if people don't know who Alex Jones is, he's probably the world's most prominent conspiracy theorist, been in the news a lot recently. He and his companies were deemed responsible for more than a billion dollars in damages for his claims that the children that were massacred in in Sandy Hook, which was a school shooting in the US, that that was a false flag operation, which led to all sorts of abuse against the children's parents. A Connecticut jury ordered far-right InfoWars host Alex Jones to pay nearly $1 billion in damages for spreading lies about the elementary school shooting. Two weeks ago, Kanye West was on his show praising Adolf Hitler. I see good things about Hitler also. The Jew, I love everyone. I'm done with the classifications. Every human being has something of value that they brought to the table, especially Hitler. And here he was talking to Liz Gunn. And so this interview is, is very much like the interview she's been giving uh, previously. Um, but it's just sort of been like Americanized in this, in this sort of unseemly way. The baby's parents, who have names of Britain, they're sort of in full picture. They're on this massive screen behind Alex Jones. Liz Gunn gets involved. Alex Jones is comparing the doctors at Starship Hospital to Joseph Mengele and saying they're doing, you know, Nazi-style medical experiments on the baby. This is when Liz Gunn compares the baby to Jesus Christ. And it sort of just escalates things in a way that hadn't happened previously. Like, it's one thing to go on counter-spin media, which is pretty small and local. It's another to go on InfoWars and to sort of project these claims to a very large audience. Um, And it's probably worth noting that as a result of this interview, these two American surgeons who got hold of it somehow, they may have been watching, got in touch with the family, and they started telling the family that, well, we don't think the surgery is even that urgent. We recommend you wait a couple of weeks, you fly them out to the US, we'll give them unvaccinated blood. And this is sort of telling the parents, Liz Gunn, everything that they wanted to hear. That like the the view from the doctors at Starship was that this baby like needed urgent surgery. There was no reason to delay it. But now that they're hearing from these US doctors that actually that's not the case, we can just pause, we can figure this out. And that sort of like escalates things again because then I, I forget the exact timeline here, but there's some sort of 
high court emergency procedure where they basically try to stop the surgery from happening. The court says, yes, it can continue. The police can take the baby if they need to, that sort of thing. So that's how you get this sort of ugly escalation. It goes from the sense of resignation to being on Alex Jones to it all kicking up again, basically. I've referred a couple of times to um, Jehovah's Witness court cases. The reason for that is honestly held religious beliefs have complicated many aspects of the legal sphere. And eventually, what I'll describe as being common sense does tend to prevail, I think it's fair to say. People will disagree with that. That's my opinion, interpretation, I suppose. But this idea of like honestly held religious beliefs does seem to have sort of spiralled in a way into honestly held convictions, which strike me as being subtly different, but also not... They're actually not really that different in a way, are they? Like, I often hear online communities being referred to these days as a, a sort of a new type of religion, as the world is, is becoming less religious. And it does make you wonder what sorts of cases w- will emerge in the future. I, we can't predict it, I suppose, but it is a fascinating thing to think about. Yeah, you already see some pretty serious discussions about setting up um, alternative blood services that are for unvaccinated people, which sort of ties into, you know, going off the grid, which is something that is very popular in these communities, uh, sort of developing these alternative societies, alternative ways of doing things. There are, you know, marketplaces for unvaccinated people. There are job listings for unvaccinated people. There are all these sort of like parallel institutions that are being set up for Uh, People who just don't want to be part of mainstream society anymore. And this is just yet another example. So when you have these these sort of very fractured realities where where people can just fundamentally believe entirely different things, it's hard not to see these sort of fractures just getting more and more um, split apart. And, And at what point are we just sort of living in these separate societies within this one umbrella, you know, community? It's very weird to think about. And I don't think there's much parallel for it and it seems like with every one of these cases we're just getting one step further away from each other and you know divided societies i don't think often end up in a very good place so it's it's sort of hard to know how to stop this gradual slide away from each other how to stop that from happening that's it for today i'm emil donovan the detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Sarah Robson. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer. And thanks to Charlie Mitchell. Ka kite anō.